0: From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 805, Your Adaptability Quotient, with guests Sarah Caldwell and Angela Dugan. Recorded Monday, October 25th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit SoundThoughtsLLC.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Cavell. and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I have two guests today. And the first is Sarah Caldwell, who loves solving puzzles and has turned her passion into a career that she loves doing. Her strengths lie in helping clients work through the nuances of agile and lean practices as she uses these practices every day to help bring order to her own life. And our other guest is Angela Dugan, who is a software consultant turned Microsoft evangelist turned Polaris Solutions ALM consultant and agile coach who's held the position of office director, people lead, and most recently, delivery director. And I'm not inserting any bad jokes being being old. I've known Angela for a number of years, and she is essentially ageless. (laughs) Uh, Welcome. Great to see you again, Angela. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Uh, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Well, it's great to be on, Rich. We've we've known, like you said, we've known each other for a really long time. So I've been looking mm-hmm. looking forward to an opportunity to just nerd out on stuff with you.
0: Well, agile's not the normal subject material for an IT podcast. That normally lives in the developer realm, and yet more and more IT folks I talk about are getting into more practices about sharing and managing code and. Uh, and, and creating sort of sustainable practices about managing infrastructure. So it, it doesn't seem that far out anymore to say, hey, the, these mindsets are useful uh, in the modern infrastructure of an organization.
2: Yeah, various lean and agile principles, I think, think are like I, I think they span across industries. Um, it's not just IT. It's not just business. It's not just app dev. Um, I use it to manage my own personal chaos. Right. So working agreements uh, with, you know, just recently starting to live with somebody. Um, we have ta- a Kanban board with our tasks, and those tasks are size. Nice. Um, and uh, we have a working agreement of what we value.
0: Well, what is breakfast but a daily scrum, right? I mean, <laughs> really?
2: Uh, we keep it to 15 minutes.
0: Nice. And you have to stand the whole time while sipping coffee. Yes, exactly. No, I, I like that. That's a great idea. Um, it's uh, fascinating that you say it that way, too, because I, a dear, very dear friend of mine who is a middle school teacher. I just moved to a new school and sent a message on the chat saying, do you guys know about this thing called Agile? Because they want to use a Kanban board in the school. And I'm like, hey, welcome to the 20th century or 21st century, so to speak. Yeah. Get ready for a lot of sticky notes and looking at your backlog. Don't worry it's good. you're gonna be happier.
2: and that and that's a really interesting thing that you bring up. Um, New Zealand actually uses that for school, and it can I could see that being you know as we're we're doing more learning remotely, having a backlog mm-hmm. of of items for kids to as they're self learning at home of things that they can pick up. maybe maybe today in this two hour block they want to learn about a specific you know science thing, and then tomorrow they can pick you know a math problem or a math topic to be able to to talk uh, to talk about. So they actually ran in scrum. Um, with two-week iterations. Um, And if I can think about it, I'll try and find that article and and send it to you if you want to include it in in your
0: notes. Well, anything that moves away our school system from its original British designs as making factory workers I think is a good idea. Yeah. Right. This. Oh, really? We're going to move. You know, shuffle from room to room by a bell and work on a particular schedule, and it's rote memorization. Like, a, I loathe that as a student, and I didn't want it for my kids either. But it's also not useful skills coming out into the modern world, where I think more of this. What do we need to work on today? Can we focus for a couple of weeks on this problem and checking in daily about progress and blockers. That reflects far more the kind of work we're doing these days. Yeah. So, Sarah, I read one of your pieces recently around this idea of an adaptability quotient, which I, I mean, I've certainly heard IQs and EQs and so forth, but an AQ seems like another thing. How do you define this?
2: I think it's really, uh, do you, you know, passively withdraw from some sort of change or you actively work within your environment to embrace the change. And so hmm. um, the way I kind of think about it, you know, like a for example in your workplace, if you're encountering something like um, some sort of process that is just isn't working for you, everyone knows it's not working. When you encounter it, do you just say, well, this is just how it is. We're just going to be doing this. Or do you actively, proactively really try and interact with your environment to actually change it?
0: How, how do I make this better for everyone?
2: Is how I view it.
0: Kind of, is, you know, starting with me.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, and, and we've all just been through a violent set of changes with the with the pandemic. Although in some ways, I almost feel like IT people were shielded because the work got so intense. Like the, the only thing that seemed to happen last year for IT folks was, you know, you, all that stuff you're doing, do more by Thursday.
1: Uh, right. And, and I think there was also a lot of. I mean, violent is probably too strong a word for it, but for some folks going 100% remote, whether it was the teams themselves or the people who manage the teams, having that be a new thing for them, we saw, Sarah and I particularly saw, a lot of struggle around that. Um, People not knowing, how do I manage when I can't see physically what they're doing or when I can't have, you know, as easily walk over to cubes and peek over shoulders? Like it, it was a very big change for people. And, and I saw some organizations adapt beautifully and quickly and and just experiment and be okay with that awkwardness. And other organizations, they seem to thrash a whole lot before they found that middle ground.
0: Or if they even did. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because most people who that uh, uh, working remote fought hard to be able to and, you know, and wanted it badly and did everything they could to present to an organization, look, I am wildly productive when I can work remotely. And then suddenly we all had to, and the vast majority of us, uh, against our wills. And and now it's all, de- you know, you suddenly get this weird mix of the person who's always been remote, who continues to be productive and is like, hey, welcome to my life. You know, these are the constraints as opposed to the person who was preferred to be in the office or thought they had to be in the office now couldn't be and is foundering to do. To get things done.
2: Well, what's really interesting is that there's a lot of talk that the uh, uh, COVID nineteen did more to further digital transformation than than anything else, right? And I feel like you know, um, IT is now getting getting the credit that that has been that it's needed for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we've known that um, a lot of us have known that IT is a critical component to uh, operating in today's in today's world. But I think COVID was a slap in the face for some industries that um, that may have just been kind of getting by um, and not realizing how, how, how important it is to have have a digital presence and a digital transformation, right? You're thinking about some of your, your mom and pop shops, your uh, restaurants, um, but also big corporations. And um, I think it's that even, I think adaptability is even knowing that that change is there, right? not having it wreck your world. So now, now right. being able to work from home or having to pivot on a dime, do you completely fall fall apart or are you looking at um, kind of like, well, well, what not a silver lining, but like, well, what are some advantages? What are some things that we can take advantage of um, uh, by working in this, in this new way?
0: Right. Not just trying to make the old way work in the new way, but trying to find new ways to work with the new way. Yeah. That's cool. I, uh, about, but I also think of like, there's a hint here about management specifically. I think Angela, you, you said this square on those that are supposed to lead a team being remote. And I've had I've plenty of friends in this situation that last year, like, could not face the prospect of Zoom cocktails at the end of the day, which Zoom cocktails should be good, but they had been on Zoom the entire day. That all what used to be sticking their head over the cubicle or face to face in a meeting room was now just one screen call after another. And so by five o'clock, when it's like, "Did you want to have a cocktail and chat?" They're like, <laughs> "Yes, I'd love to, but not in front of a screen. Sorry, <laughs> not not can't can't face it anymore." The, this management by video call sucks. That's a tough way to live.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's funny because I think before the pandemic, I remember our company had started to make a push for cameras on, right? If, if you're going to be on a video, we really want, we want the engagement. We want to see the human on the other side, mm-hmm. but we didn't, we didn't live by Zoom calls, right? And then as the pandemic heated up and everything went 100% remote, gosh, I want to say it was three or four months in when every, even myself, right? I'm the extrovert. I love all, like, I just live for seeing people's faces. I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to look at y'all's faces anymore. I'm done. I'm done.
0: <laughs> you know, it's bad
1: when Angela's done.
0: Well, um, you've had enough of it.
1: Yeah. And so we, I, you know, I, I think we did a great job of kind of leaning in and figuring out like, what are other ways we can collaborate, right? We created a lot of new communities and Slack, um, I, I will forever be grateful to Sarah for introducing me to Miro as a tool because we found that that is such a great way to asynchronously throw things against a wall. Like, I just feel like the creativity was like off the charts once we gave people opportunities to find new ways to be productive, and it it was amazing. Like, it was just such a great thing to see.
0: But it does strike me that it started with this idea of it's acceptable to say this isn't working for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like, I think. A lot of folks was like, Hey, this is a hard time. This is a unique, you know, once in a century kind of event. So take it like a man, you know, that kind of <laughs> just do it as opposed to, you know, is this working for you? Could we be better? Uh, you know, can, can we, is there better tooling? Like I didn't know about Miro. Miro looks like a cool tool for, for trying to be better at that.
2: Well, one thing that we talk about in our, in our talk, and, and we talk about three different ways to increase your adaptability quotient, is change awareness, accepting that things have changed and leaning into that. So, you know, it's definitely a complicated spider web in which we, we kind of work in, right, and live in, where like your environment um, impacts your behavior, which impacts other people's behavior, which impacts your behavior, which impacts your environment. And so, you know, it's what we talk about when we think about a complex adaptive system. Uh, where there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of patterns, and so we have to really recognize that that has changed. That those mm-hmm. patterns, uh, that those th- those variables have changed, and as a result, things are not go- things that used to work are not necessarily going to work in this new environment, which leads us into this, you know, cognitive flexibility. Like, how can we make this better? Before, so kind of going back to Angela's example, right? Like we. We, we know that we are humans that rely a lot on body language and we like to see each other's faces and look into each other's eyes. And so, of course, Zoom seems like if we're operating with that, like, well, the closest thing to, to that is sharing cameras. But right. then we also know that we get super overwhelmed by all of that. And I have a tendency to do what I call pretty bird, which is look at myself more <laughs> than, than other, other people. Uh, and so trying to figure out, well, what if, so what's important here? It's, it's us being able to collaborate and communicate. What mm. if we turn cameras off and did this? And what if we did this? And what if we had this asynchronous Slack space? And what if we had, you know, um, impromptu happy hours as opposed to
1: planned happy hours? Right. And just kind of see what, what actually sticks.
0: Yeah. How do you make impromptu with invites?
1: What we would do in our case, and I remember I was so much more likely to attend these than the planned ones, was... It'd be 4.30 and literally anybody in the company could jump out on our, we have a rant, we have so many channels, but one of them was random and you could go out on the random channel and just say like, Hey, you know, I've had kind of a stressful day. I'd love to have a drink with some friendly faces who wants to jump on. And they would post a zoom link right there in Slack. Right. And it's like, we treated it like open spaces. Whoever showed up were the right people, whatever you talked about was the right thing. We didn't put a lot of pressure or structure around it. And sometimes they'd fizzle out. We wouldn't do them at all for a few months. And then we'd have a whole bunch of them and then we'd fizzle out. And it, it was kind of beautiful, right? I feel like it ebbed and flowed as we needed
0: it. That's very organic. Right. Yeah.
1: Anyone could could suggest it. It didn't have to be the boss.
0: Right. And no invites. It was just a link on a channel. And if you chose to click on that link, you were in.
2: Yeah. And my favorite one that I would attend would be the ones that were personal, like, you know... Uh, Todd would even message me and say, hey, a couple of us are getting a, a, a drink on this Zoom call or having a drink on this Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Please join us. So kind of the, um, I want to call it a round, round robin, but that's not it. It's basically like a chain where, you know, so somebody invites me and then I invite somebody else and then they invite somebody else. So it's more personal. You're getting a personal invite as opposed to a mass meeting invite.
0: Yeah, that that is an interesting aspect too. I, I did do a bunch of, I'm having a cup of tea. Did you want to grab your favorite? caffeinated beverage and flip on the camera i also think the camera etiquette evolved this past year and a half the pet thing <laughs> right? like just but just this sort of recognition of interruption like you are there's no way to have a camera when working from home that isn't poking into your home and so home is part of it if you you've you got a small kid, you got you know you've got a chaos fa- uh, monkey in there, then that's part of it. But <laughs> if the cat needs to show butt, cat shows butt, that's how that is.
2: Angela and I call that respecting our humanness, so um, I like that. We were we were primarily uh, say, I say I don't know, I feel like we were 50 fifty remote. Um, we had you know uh, two different offices in Chicago and St. Louis. Um, and so um, and our clients were in those cities, but we had clients outside of those cities. But when the, the, you know, pandemic hit, we were a hundred percent remote. And Mm -hmm. so, um, we had made a, we had to make a, a shift to doing some of, you know, our, our training, uh, had to be exclusively remote. Like we would try best cases or, you know, we wanted to be in person for training. And then, uh, when we had to go remote, we really leaned into those things and, uh, um, calling it, you know, that was part of our rules of engagement. Really respect your humanness. It means if you got to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. But if your kid pops in, great, put yourself on mute, T- turn your camera off, but just let us know what you're doing. Deal with it. If yeah. Your ca- yeah. If your furry creature comes in, you have to introduce them, you <laughs> have to put them on screen.
0: Well, I, I, I'm sure it's good for some kids too. I have been in the middle of recording a show, much like we're doing right now, and had the dog have a seizure behind me. And that's an interrupting moment. Like you just. It, there's things a the dog needs to have tended to, and you tend to them, uh, and uh, nobody minds. It's okay, right. but uh, it's just part of real life. Uh, and folks, I got to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by the SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, December seventh to 9. You've heard the SQL Q and A shows we publish on Run As twice a year from the conference. That is a microcosm of the five days of fantastic learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the SQL Server team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as insight into the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest version of SQL Server. And if you've still got questions by the end of the week, join the conference's closing session and be part of the SQL Q&A show on Run As Radio. The SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference is at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 7th to 10th. And I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Sarah Caldwell, and that's Angela Dugan. We're talking a little bit about adaptability quotient, and, and really this conversation about how important adaptability came this past year. Because it now, when I now that I'm thinking about AQ, the way you've described it, Sarah, I'm thinking about as a, if I was a leader of a team. I'm kind of assessing the AQ of my whole team in the individual members because some are more, are, are coping with this better than others. And, and I'm really going to go the ones who are struggling and say, how do I get them to, to be able to cope better, to make things easier for them, find the things that, that are hard on them? Do you, do you look at AQ that way or as a, just, just get everybody better at being adaptable?
2: I think it's the, the latter there because Mm -hmm. the former where you're just focusing on people who, uh, who, You think might be struggling, like Mm -hmm. again, you're you're putting judgment on them. Like adaptability quotient is something that you know, you don't really know what somebody else is thinking or feeling, right? Um, Right. And uh, so, I I would want everyone's adaptability quotient to you know to be increased and work on that because there's also this thing, and I was thinking about this morning when I was having my stand up. (laughs) uh, No, just kidding. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning (laughs) when uh, I was having my coffee, and that. Can you be too adaptive? And I think I think the answer is yes, because there's this thing where you can just be constantly changing and not processing, um, not really processing what's actually happening. Because we are, as mm-hmm. much as we try not to be emotional creatures, we are. We have our lizard brain um, yeah. and uh, we have a rational brain. And if we're not giving credence to our lizard brain and, and actually processing some of the changes, that can actually come out in other areas of our life uh, without us actually realizing it. And so as a leader, I would want to be working on both.
0: I, I totally appreciate that. And I certainly felt that way a, little. a lot of the IT folks I was talking to during the height of the crisis, when we were just trying to keep infrastructure running and everybody moved out, they were. T- it's like you didn't need to think about how your life was being disrupted because you were you were in the pounding surf of keeping systems running. Uh, and it, and it felt to me like this is something that's just going to come back and get us sooner or later. Like you don't get to ignore a once in a century events impact on your own life just because you're busy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And I think, so I think that, that kind of wraps up the third point in our adaptability quotient talk, Mm -hmm. which is, I think is, is about, uh, what we call focused attention, but it's really about figuring out what you can let go of. Right. So, um, kind of, uh, liking it to what Gandhi said, how do you return to zero? Uh, What can you unlearn? As we're, you know, processing things that are going on, being able to have focus and attention on what you could potentially unlearn is really important. And it will allow us to have that processing time while we're increasing our adaptability.
0: Just need time for all the things. And, And it turns out we all have the same amount of time. Who knew?
1: Well, and one of the things that I, 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 loved about this talk. So, so this was originally Sarah's brainchild and when she invited me to be part of it, I was so excited because I feel like it was just a thing that I knew I knew a little about it. Um, And one of the, the things that I think really put my adaptability quotient to the test, because one of the things I learned is that it, it changes, right? Some, some weeks your adaptability is going to be way better than others. Um, yeah. And so, uh, t- so Tomorrow will be two weeks since Polaris was acquired by another company. So talk about a massive change. Right. So since. Wow.
0: Yeah. No kidding. I mean, on one hand, I'm like, should I say congratulations? I don't know that that's true. It's (laughs) like it's a change. That's all it is. Nothing more than that. Better, worse, hard to know.
1: Right. And it's a huge it's a huge change when you're when you're coming from a really small company that has a tight culture where we've leaned mm-hmm. into this pandemic together and I feel like we've become even closer. Um, and then, you know, we're still kind of dealing with the pandemic. You know, we're not back to quote unquote normal, whatever it's that's not gonna over. be. Yeah. Um and then we've you know, we're we're getting acquired. And so right now we're we're only finishing the second week. We're still learning how to use time systems, we're still feeling out the other companies culture and roles and, and seeing where we all fit. And, and it was, well, it's, it's been interesting, right? Because it means that I think, I almost think giving this talk and nerding out on this with Sarah so much before this happened, gave me some tools, right? Because I absolutely had to unlearn how we always did things at Polaris because it was a smaller company and you had to do things in certain ways because of your size and, and just, how things have always worked, and now I'm part of a, you know, a, three clouds. Not tremendously huge. We're going to they are 300, whereas we were 50. But but I did have right. to unlearn some things, and I'm constantly having to be okay with challenging my own assumptions and saying that worked great before. It's not going to work here, and that's totally okay.
0: Or it might even work. It's just that <laughs> they're doing it a different way. Like I think that's a really interesting aspect of all of this. Is like oh, and I've certainly been through the M and A process you know, both as acquired and acquirer and so forth. And it's like, hey, they bought us for a reason, too. So what are the parts that they want? What are the parts that, you know, uh, aren't important? And what are the parts that uh, we have choices around? Like, And nobody actually knows. You kind of have to just sit in front of each other for a while and say, well, what does this look like? Um, it's not. It's, uh, it doesn't have to be bad. It's challenging, without a doubt. Because you, you are going to question everything, but not everything is up for question. Like, we do come to the table with values right. that are important to us.
2: Well, and I think it's about, um, I'm a big fan, fan of playing the what-if game. Um, mm-hmm. Some people can liken this to like a silver lining. But um, it's been really interesting to watch, uh, you know, my former Polarians or my fellow Polarians. I'm not quite, quite sure how to refer to the company formerly known as Polaris. But it's interesting watching people because I'm going into it being like, okay, great. So we've loosened up some constraints here. We actually have more people, more opportunities. We're going to get different type of clients. And, oh, they have this whole infrastructure part because, you know, the ops part of, of um, usually in some agile transformations, digital transformations, the whole ops team kind of gets the, a lot of times the bad end of the stick. Hmm. Suddenly they're just like forced into Scrum, like you must do Scrum when that's not really, uh, that doesn't really work for them, right? And so they end up losing out on some really great lean agile principles that they can be following. So I'm really excited that 3Cloud um, has a, a deep, uh, you know, um, managed infrastructure. And so I'm, I'm playing all these what if games and realizing that the world we used to live in is gone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I've, I've moved on, right, good or bad, right? Like, I'm like, I'm a three clouder now yep. and I'm noticing that some of, you know, uh, my colleagues are, are, are still, they're not quite there yet. And and that's not what I'm doing. Is not necessarily good or bad? What they're doing? Is not necessarily good or bad? It's just, you know, everyone operates at their, at their own pace of, right. um, of, of adapting to change. And this isn't really about um, I have a better AQ score. So thus I am better. It's about, Again, your own personal awareness with that. How can I be like where, you know, Angela was talking about how when we were nerding out on the adaptability quotient earlier this year, how she was able to generate some insights into how she was behaving. That's really what this is about. It's about not what you're going to do to somebody else or judge somebody else, but how you can be more adaptive or flexible.
0: This seems like permission to have a meta conversation with yourself right? The how are you feeling? How, well, what do you feel about change? What works for you? What doesn't? Because often we're too busy doing to to think about how we're feeling about something or really think about where we're going, right? This is this bicycle problem where you kind of need to pedal. The pedaling part is important, but if you don't steer, you're not going anywhere you want to go. Uh, most of the time we, we worry about the pedaling part. It's very easy in IT especially, I find, just stay in the pounding surf. What is today's crisis? That's what I'm doing today. Thinking about what we have to do next or where we need to go or any of those things. You can avoid that for a long time as long as you keep finding where the building's on fire and doing that and, and that people consider that good. And I think the pandemic was an excuse to just focus on the fires and not focus on direction and goals and thing, broader things that are important.
2: So there's been a lot of articles written, a lot of studies being done in a scientific manner, be it so, so, uh, sociology or psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that we really borrowed from was Bateman and Krantz. And I think it was like in 1993, um, where it talks about the difference between being proactive and reactive.
0: Right. And Classic.
2: how that, yeah, and how that um, impacts your success within the office place, right? And they found that people who have a more proactive ten- tendencies and we're kind of likening that to adaptability are uh, more successful. Uh, they tend to get you know, uh, leadership opportunities more than other people. They tend to just be you know um, more for lack of a better way to say, it, more outstanding in their career mm-hmm. um, than people who are more reactive. right. So you're adapting to the change, you're playing that what if game, you're realizing their change, you're figuring out what you can unlearn as opposed to just be like, okay. What's today? What do I got to bat and, and kind of manage today?
0: Yeah, just tell me what you want me to do. Uh, I've I've also heard it's fun as life's only ten percent what happens to you, but ninety percent what you do about it. So and it, it. certainly this the ten percent's been a hefty one this past year and a half, but but it's still what do you do about it?
2: And you bring up a really good point too, is that um, you you know we kind of talked about we haven't gone back to normal, and I, I think this is normal. Like yeah, it is, may not be normal.
0: We're not going back to anything. We're finding a new place.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so we haven't a hundred percent landed on uh, on it, but we definitely have found some new behavior patterns that we're mm-hmm. doing right. Um, there are a lot of companies that have really changed the way uh, their you know la- landscape for their office. Right, they're closing down offices and allowing people to permanently work from home.
0: Sure. But you kind of look around the space and go, why is this here? What do we get from it? You know, why would we come back here? I know that I've talked to a lot of folks who are excited to get back to the office. And I'm like, after you get back, let's have that conversation again. Because I think you have a memory of the office that's nostalgic, that isn't real. And when you actually get back there, you're gonna go, oh yeah, there's that commute part, and it sucked. And it's and I why am I sitting in this room? Like I managed to build a good working space for myself at home. Why am I leaving it? Like I have stuff there I wish was here, you know, and vice versa. So I I do think there's gonna be a pendulum swing where some folks rush back to the office because they they have a memory of it being great and now they're gonna realize maybe not so much and maybe swing back the other way again.
1: I think some of the adaptability, too, that, that is coming to light for folks who manage people is that there are effectively different personas. Now, I've seen a lot of different articles about four personas, seven personas, but effectively mm-hmm. it comes down to there are people who will want to come back to the office and be there all the time for whatever reason. Without Working that. at home is just not conducive for them to feel effective. Yeah. Some people will want to be 100% remote, right? I, I am probably... I think they I forget what they call the persona, but it's kind of the 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 balanced wellness persona where it's going to be like, I want to be able to go into the work, go into the office when I need to work in the office, but for right. it to be okay for me to be home when I need to because I've also built this whole new routine, right i've I've adapted to working remotely in my personal life as well. Right. Right. I have different different habits of walking the dog and spending different time with my husband than I used to because neither one of us commute anymore. And so I've really learned to cherish that stuff that I just didn't know I needed until I had it. And so I think that's going to be an interesting part of as we as people try to go back and redefine normal like, are companies going to be adaptable there, too? Or, or are they going to be very polarized, like you're coming back or we're all remote? Because I think there is a middle ground that's really important to recognize.
2: And Angela, I think that's a really great point and a really great call to action for leaders here. Because I've seen some um, organizations double down on going back into the office because they built, you know, right before yeah. the pandemic, they built a nice, a nice, beautiful headquarters and now they're doubling down and saying, hey, we want everyone to come back to the office because we have the sunk cost of an office building.
0: Seems like a terrible reason to go back to the office. Like, arguably the worst. We own a building. Please use it. <laughs> really?
2: And I think it, we've changed, right? Like, you know, the I think we all, we all intuitively know, I think, um, but need to be reminded that our our workforce, our talent is our most important um, asset, right, for an organization. And so we need to be leaning in and, and hearing that, you know, our people have adapted to the circumstances around them. And thank God, right? Thank yes. God they've adapted. And now we need to bear witness to that and appreciate that and lean in and find a nice, a nice healthy balance of, you know, what that means for for our people.
0: It does seem to me that the side effect of the pandemic was more people thinking about their, you know, goals and wants and needs more of that contemplative time than had been normally taken place. And it that's really the by the byproduct of that is this quote unquote great resignation. It's like coming out of this is uh, I don't like what I'm doing, or I don't like the way I'm working, or I don't like where I work, and and a big reshuffling of of that workload, um, for better or worse, right? We are thinking about our work differently. It's it's a natural byproduct of that. Uh, Not a bad thing, just it's a thing. And it means, yeah, there is no going back. There's only going forward, and and we don't know what it's going to look like. We're still figuring it out. Anecdotally, last year I made a bunch of, I made a second show a week for 30, 40, 30 something weeks called the Pandemic Series. Uh, That was specifically on pandemic topics that IT people were concerned about, as well as doing the regular show. But by the fall, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. They stopped being pandemic topics. They were just topics, right? It, it, what you know? At, at some point, when you're used, to, you've got your people working remotely, you ha- and you've moved stuff into the cloud, like you're doing that integration. Th- there's no defining line between any of that. It, 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 in some sense, I feel like the show showed us a path that what normal looked like. It's like, yeah you happen to, you know, move some more stuff to the cloud and working with people more remotely and different met- building new metric systems for measuring productivity. Like that all happened in the past year or so. And now there's just, it is work. It isn't separate in any way.
2: Yeah, it it re- really reminds me of, uh, you know, working in like complex adaptive systems, really thinking about how you don't work to predict the future, but you work to control it. Right. And I really think that that's what this adaptability is, that you're not trying to pr- predict I'm going to be going back to the office. I'm not going to be going back to the office, but you're building a system in which you can flex to those things, working in a variety of different ways.
0: And be productive either way. I appreciate that. I think that's really fun. So I've included in the show notes a link to the adaptability quotient to your the video and text about it from uh, June. Sarah Caldwell and Angela Dugan, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Rich.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: And we'll talk to you next time on Run Ads Radio.